If you have your Bibles there, then uh, open up to John chapter 7. For those who are at Kids Church training this morning, my sermon in a sentence is, where you're from doesn't matter, it matters where you're going. John 7, 37 says, on the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood out, stood and cried, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit who those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this, saying, Truly this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was division among the people because of him, and some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Down to verse 50. It says, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, get the guy's name right, he who came to Jesus by night being one of them, said to them, Does our Lord judge a man? Because for it hears him, and who knows what he is doing? And they answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has risen out of Galilee. It's the last day of the Passover feast. And Jesus stands up and declares that if you believe in him, out of you will flow a river of living water. He's talking about being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit flowing through you, impacting the world around us. If you flick over to John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus a bit further on is saying, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. The Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus is saying here, you've seen the miracles that I do. You've seen me lay hands on the sick to recover. You've seen the blind eyes open. You've seen the lame walk. You've seen the power of God move through me. You've seen the dead raised up. And he's saying in John chapter 14, all these things that I've done, when I go to my Father, I'm going to give you Holy Spirit and you'll be doing more than what I've ever done. Don't you believe me? what it says right there, isn't it? Jesus said, all these things you see me doing, you will do these things and more. Right, get excited about it later. It doesn't say preachers will do more. It doesn't say church leaders will do more. 
says anyone who believes in him. Anyone here believe in Jesus? All right. So if we all believe in Jesus, we should be doing what Jesus did and more, right? We should be seeing the sick healed. We should see people with limbs growing. We should see people who are blind being able to see, deaf being able to hear. We should be upsetting funerals. You know, the biggest highlight of funerals this week is a hearse that parked outside Subiaco Church of Christ for one minute during a no parking time and they got a parking fine. And that made the news. I'm sorry, but that is not news. That's illegal parking. What's news is if the person that was who the funeral was for got up out of their coffin and started to walk. That's news, right? And that's the kind of news that Jesus said we would create. You read it right there. John chapter 14, verse 12. If you believe in me, these things you see me doing, you will do them and more. I don't know about you, but I'd settle for doing them. The reason we do more is two things, two simple reasons. One, he only did it for three years. We've got a whole lifetime. Secondly, there's more of us. That's why we do more. So why do we see the church so powerless? Why is the news about a hearse getting a parking fine and not about the person being brought back to life? Why aren't we daily seeing the sick healed, the dead raised, food multiplied, sinners saved, money in fish mouths, water being turned into superb wine? I mean, there's two fantastic fundraising events, aren't it? Need some more money for a church building. Let's go fishing and see if we can find some money in some fish mouths. All our spouses will just open the bottle shop. Turn the tap on, will you? Yep, no worries. We sell it by the, the bucket full. Blind seeing, deaf healed, limbs restored, the lame walking. Why do we not see this on a daily basis? Because Jesus did. Most of it, I believe, is because the church, which is you and I, we don't know our worth. We see ourselves in the context of where we come from, not where we're going. Jesus declares the Holy Spirit is available to flow through us like a river. Have you ever seen you know, those movies where a dam breaks? You know, and there's this mighty rushing water and it just takes everything before it. I was watching the, the tsunami that happened in Japan, watching some footage on that a few days ago. And just watching as this, this power of water just picks up whole, the whole city and just carries it off down the river. Every rock, every bit of dirt, every, every item 
that is there is picked up by this mighty river and just carried away. That's what the Holy Spirit inside us is like. It has the power that whatever is in the way, it'll just pick it up and carry it away. That's the Holy Spirit we have within us. It doesn't matter what situation we face, with the Holy Spirit within us, we have the power to change that. Because that's what Jesus did. Can't see? Let's fix that. Eyes are healed. Can't walk? No worries. Legs are healed. Dead? No worries. Start breathing. It didn't matter what Jesus faced. He had a solution because he had the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through him. He knew what he was about and he knew where he was going. But the religious leaders, they come and have a go at him. And he stands up and he says, this river that flows through me, this Holy Spirit, you can have him too. And they're going, you can't say that. You're from Galilee. Nothing good ever comes out of Galilee. You see, they weren't looking at where Jesus was going. They were looking at where he came from. And they're going, you come from the wrong side of the country. You're in the, you come from the wrong area. Nothing good, no prophet has ever come out of where you are. Now see, this is a devil tactic. When you start to discover who you are in Christ, he will start to whisper in your ear all the things you've ever done in your life. He will bring up your past. You see, because he knows what his future is. His future is locked in. It's eternity in hell, suffering. He doesn't like to think about the future. So he likes to think about the past. And so he tries to take you back to the past. And he will get you thinking about your past and what you've done in the past and all the mistakes you've made in the past. And he'll keep bringing them up because if you keep looking back there, you won't look at where you're going and what you have. And you'll see yourself in the context of where you've been. And that's what these religious leaders are trying to do with Jesus. They're trying to get him to look back and say, you're a nobody because you come from Galilee and no prophet ever comes out of Galilee. Well, you know what? It was a lie. And when the devil gets you looking at the past, that's a lie. Because there is a prophet that came out of Galilee and he's one of the most noted prophets in there. In fact, this prophet was so powerful that when he went into a city that wasn't even Jewish, everyone from the slave right down the bottom through to the king repented. And he was a reluctant prophet. And his name was Jonah. And he comes from a city that is smack bang in the middle of Galilee. So it was a lie. One of the most influential men in their history. A guy who spent three days in the belly of a fish who Jesus used to prophesy about his three days in the grave. This guy, who was the most reluctant prophet ever. You know, you had Gideon, who was like, I'm not sure, God, I'm not sure, God. Jonah was, I'm sure, God, and I'm going the other way. And he gets to the point where he's out in the middle of the thing, and he is so determined not to go to Nineveh, he says, I'd rather be thrown overboard and die. That's how much he hated the people of Nineveh. 
And so he gets thrown overboard and gets swallowed by a fish. And I reckon he's sitting there going, this is not good. Because I'm not being digested. I'm just sitting here. And so God gets into him and, you know, he repents of running away. <coughs> and so he goes to Nineveh. But he still doesn't want to do it. He's still reluctant. Because he gets there and he preaches and then he goes and sits up on a hill overlooking Nineveh, waiting for God to destroy the city. So can you imagine how great the preaching was? He just put everything into it, you know what I mean? Because he expected them all not to repent and for them to ignore his message and die. The problem was they all repented. And so he got upset with God because he really didn't like those people because they were his enemies. That's some pretty good preaching if you get that sort of result and from reluctance. Eh? And this is the guy that comes from Galilee. That They're saying nobody good comes out of there. Nobody does anything comes out of Galilee. It's a lie and they're taking Jesus back to his past. And they're trying to put him and box him in to the context of his past and saying, you are identified by your past and your past says you're from Galilee and nothing good comes out of Galilee. And that's what the devil does with us. He says, this is your past. These are the things you've done wrong. This is where you've messed up and that's who you are and that's the box you fit in. So stop trying to get out of it. But it's not true. Because what you think is your past and what the devil tells you your past is actually not your past. Because Jesus was not from Galilee. He was from Bethlehem. Remember? That's where he was born. He was from Bethlehem. He was Judean, not a Galilean. It's the same with your past. You are not a rotten sinner. That is actually not your past. Because if you go and talk to God right now and you ask Him to go through and read your life history and to bring up every sin you've ever committed, He's going to look at that and say, I see no sin. Because your past is washed away. Everything you've ever done wrong has been washed away. So your past actually starts with Jesus Christ and Him crucified and raised from the dead. So therefore your past starts with a power encounter of Jesus being raised from the dead and you being given new life. That's your past. So whatever the devil brings up is a lie. And they're just, just trying to box you in like they were trying to do with Jesus. So now tell me why we're not doing miracles. Why we're not finding fish with, with coins in their mouths. Why the water that comes out of our tap isn't champagne. <coughs> we laugh at this stuff, but that's what Jesus did. I mean, can you imagine Anna's Ivan wedding, you know? We go to do the toast and someone forgot to bring the bottles. Is your first thought to stand up and go, give me a pitcher of water. It's miracle time. We could save a fortune on communion wine. You are not full of sin and you are not full of failure. You need to understand who you are in Christ. 
you need to change how you think. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Go there in your Bible. Because it's good to read this stuff. I was reminded this week as I was reading a, an article that it's not just important to hear the Word of God, but to actually see the Word of God. You may be able to memorize verses, but you need to read them, see them. Every so often, just let them get in through your eyes. <clears throat> Romans 12, verse 1, Paul says, I beseech, there's a lovely word, isn't it? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, you are dead to self and live for Jesus. Remember that, and that's how you should live. Do not be conformed to this world. In other words, the world will say, this is the box that you fit in, get into your box. In my job that I do during the week, I'm a training and development coordinator. You should see what my badge looks like when that goes across there. I think I've got the second longest title. The manager of IT and communications has the longest one. People look at me and go, you have a very big badge. Well, it's just very, very small writing and no one can do it. But that's my job. My job when I go to work, my box at work is supposedly to be the training and development coordinator. And I'm really bad at fitting in my box. Because I'm sorry, but ministry just comes as a second nature. And I didn't realize that until I really got onto this. And, and I'm walking through and I like to grab my cup of coffee about 8.30 because, you know, I've been up since early and it's about time for my third cup of coffee by then. All right. So I grab my cup of coffee and I wander throughout the whole office. And I talk to people and I ask how they're going and end up getting in pastoral conversations. And half an hour later, I get back to my desk because I don't like my box. I like to be doing what Jesus is doing. I like to be changing people's lives. The world says to you, you have to be conformed to this. This is who you are. This is what you do. You know, they throw out the lines like, you're a young person, therefore you're rebellious and you don't take authority well. And I go, hogwash. These are the older people and they don't change. And I go hogwash. And if you're a generation X or a generation Y or a boomer or a buster or a anything else in there, this is how you behave. And people listen to their stuff and they go, ooh, I've got to be like this. And suddenly they start acting like this. That's not what the Bible says. It says don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. In other words, whatever they say you should be, it's not true. Whatever the devil says you should be, it's not true because there's no truth in him. And he's called the God of this world. So if the world says this is how you should be, then it must be a lie because he's the God of it. Get that in your head. If the world says it, it's a lie. If Jesus says it, it's the truth. And he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Transformers, robots in disguise, you know. <laughs> you know that ad? You're a transformer. 
You used to be a big, ugly, sinning robot. Now you can transform into a sleek machine full of the Holy Spirit going around in stealth, healing and doing miracles, turning water into wine. I want to do that in my workplace, actually. You'd mess with their heads a bit, wouldn't it? Where did all this wine come from? Don't you know we have a no alcohol policy? It says be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. In other words, changing the way you think. Because as you think is as you are. And if you don't like as you are, then you need to change how you think. And when you change how you think, you'll change who you are. Jesus could have said, oh yes, I'm only from Galilee, so I shouldn't do anything. Like that was going to happen. You know, we find, we find Peter, this man who starts the church, he's the rock I'm building the church on. He's preaching freedom in Christ at the start of Acts. By the end of Acts, he's being censured by Paul because he's starting to promote circumcision and legalism again. He was going back to his old box. And the leaders of the church had to say, you've got it wrong. Jesus came for the Jews, the Gentiles, and everyone in between. The world will try and put you in a box and say, this is who you should be. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundant. I came to set you free. It says it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. No longer burden to the yoke of slavery. What's slavery? Slavery is that box. It says this is how you should be. There are no limits in Jesus. You can do crazy things. Because Jesus did crazy things. You can even spit in somebody's face. Because Jesus did it. You're allowed to throw mud pies. Because Jesus did it. He did. The blind guy comes and what's he do? <laughs> Makes a mud pie from his spit and then smashes it into the guy's face. And then tells the guy to go wash it off. <laughs> I mean, seriously. And we go, oh, you can't do that. Why not? Jesus says, you will do these things and even more. Oh, but we're a civilized society now. Maybe that's our problem. We're too civilized and correct. I'm an anti-political correctness guy. I really am. But the advantage of being a trainer is you can really mess with that stuff and challenge it. Because political correctness says that I can no longer stand up and say, I am a new believer in Christ. Because I have to be sensitive to somebody who might be upset with that. It says I can't spit on somebody's face to get them healed because they may not like being spat on. But Jesus was not into political correctness. He was not out to impress anybody. He was here to bring in the kingdom of God. And I reckon the guy that he spat on was pretty happy that he got spat on. Because after he got spat on, and then after he got a bit of mud on his face, he could see. I mean, there's this woman coming along, and she says to Jesus, 
Hey, Jesus. What are you trying to do? Turn the fan off? The daily ones. This woman comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, Jesus, come and heal my daughter. And Jesus says, you're a dog. That's what he said to her. You're a dog. We don't give food to the dogs. She had, I mean, you want to talk about, you know, political correctness. It was no different back then to now. It's not the sort of thing that endears people to you. If you came and said, can I help you? I said, no, you're a dog, sorry. That's what Jesus said. He was pushing her going, are you serious? And this woman comes back and she is so hungry for God in her life. She is so hungry to see her daughter healed. She says, yeah, but even the dogs eat the scrap of the table. I may be a dog. I may know my place in life. But I know that God's got more for me. See, she knew where she was going, not where she'd been. And Jesus turns to her and says, your faith has made your daughter well. Go in peace. See, we spend too much time getting offended. We spend too much time thinking like the world thinks and trying to conform and be relevant. One of the things I said when we started this church is, I don't care what the world thinks. We are not a church, we are not a church nightclub. We are not the local bar. We are not trying to be a rock concert. We're not trying to be a rotary club. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And if that offends people and upsets people, well then let it offend people and upset people. Because I know that if we were a nightclub, people wouldn't get healed. If we were the local rotary club, the power of God would not be here. But if we are the church of the living Christ, then we will turn water into wine. We'll find money in fish mouths. We'll see the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear. The dead will be raised back to life. We're going to change how we think. You are not of this world. You are an alien. Get used to it. I have never seen an alien movie where an alien is politically correct. Not even E.T. was politically correct. For those of you old enough to remember him. Aliens, when they depict aliens, they did not conform to the world system. They operated according to their system. And that is what we're to do. We're to be weirdos and wackos. We are to be peculiar, the Bible says. What's peculiar? Because you have a higher calling. Peculiar people pray for the sick and they get healed. Peculiar people speak over the dead and they'll be raised. Peculiar people do miracles, open blind eyes, open deaf ears. Because they're not conformed to the pattern of this world, but transformed. Do you know who you are in Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. All the old stuff has passed away. So all the sin you've ever committed is gone. Everything you've ever done wrong in your life is gone. Everywhere that you have messed up is gone. Because the Bible says if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that was written to the church. So you're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. All things in your life have become new. So you are a brand new 
Holy Spirit transformer. Straight off the assembly line. You are more powerful than a Bugatti. You have more power flowing through you than a nuclear bomb. Any weapon formed against you cannot prosper. Anything that rises against you, you have the power to sweep along in the river of the Holy Spirit. Anything that comes your way, you have the mind of Christ to overcome it. Any sickness that comes your way, you are worthy and holy and righteous and empowered to lay hand upon that sick person and see them completely healed in the name of Jesus. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Because you can walk out of here and go, that was fun. And come back next week and nothing is different in your life. And we could say the same thing all over again. And we could have a great worship time and a good Holy Spirit time and a fantastic prayer time and we can hear a great sermon and we can walk out the door again and still be doing the same stuff. Because the world says this is how you behave when you're at work or school or uni or home or the shops or anywhere else. You were not made to blend in with the crown. You are iridescent because you glow with the power of God. Yeah, Dale and I, about a year ago, walking through the shopping center one Thursday night, and this guy starts preaching halfway through the shopping center. Smart guy, kept walking so the guards couldn't get him. And he's walking through there preaching and declaring the name of Jesus. And everybody's looking and going, wacko. And I'm going, absolutely, he is. He's a weirdo. He doesn't fit. But I don't remember anyone else in that shopping center except that guy that night. He got my attention. He got the attention of everyone else in that place. Am I saying you have to go preach through the shopping center? If that's what it takes. What I'm saying is, if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to end up in the same place. And if you've been doing the thing that is determined by your past, you're going to end up living a life that is determined by your past. So forget about where you've been because it's not true. It's where you're going. It's where you're going that counts. Because where you've been is in the presence of God and set free. And where you're going is a one-way trip to heaven and our job is to take as many people as we can with us. And we're supposed to do that with power. If it means multiplying the food, then multiply the food. Try it once. See how you go. Fails the first time, try the second time. Get a bread and go, multiply. Didn't work. Multiply. Get some water out of your tap. See if you can turn it into wine. See, we look at this and go, you can't do that. Tell me one really good reason why not. Because I can give you a biblical reason why you should. Oh, that's playing with the power of God. So? Do you think that God at creation went, 
oh, I shouldn't create because that's playing with the power of God. <laughs> See, it offends our mind because the world says we have to be very reverent and respectful to God, and we do. But God's got a fun side. And one thing I read this week is we would never have known God's serious side if we had not sinned. Think about that. God made the world. He made it perfect and he made it fun. He didn't have to discipline anybody. He didn't have to do any of the tough stuff. He made it so that everything was perfect and he could rest and he could relate to man and have a whole lot of fun with the world. And if we had never sinned, he would never have to bring his judgments. We would have seen the fantastic fun side of God for all eternity. But we didn't. We sinned. We messed up. And so we had to see God's serious side. But I get the feeling that he wants to bring the fun side out. And since he's already done everything he's ever going to do to get us saved, because our salvation is complete in Jesus Christ, why can't he bring out his fun side? I mean, the first thing Jesus does must offend so many religious minds. Because the first thing he does is creates alcohol. Think about it. And don't give me the religious rubbish of, oh, no, it was non-alcoholic wine. I'm sorry, but the best wine is not non-alcoholic. And if you're at a Jewish wedding, it's alcoholic. The first thing he does is make, I mean, how incorrect politically is that? They want to ban beer ads from the football. Imagine the church turning water into wine. We take over the pubs. I mean, doesn't that just mess with our religious minds? It blows the box apart. But that's what God wants to do. He wants to blow the box apart because he says, I've come to set you free. So you can do things like that. You can ask and you will receive. Next time someone's coming over for dinner, don't buy wine, just buy water and see how you go. The worst you can do is have water. I mean, this is what Jesus did. He could have easily multiplied money like he did, you know, said the disciples, go fishing, go get in one of those big catches, go through all the fish, there'll be coins in all of them. Get those coins out, go down the shop, buy some wine, bring it back for the wedding. He could have done that. And we would have gone, oh, all that money that came out of the fish. But no, he messed with the religious mind and made alcohol out of water. He made his own still. Well, not quite a still, but yeah. What I'm saying to you is stop thinking in the box of religiosity and start to look to Jesus and realize that anything is possible. That when you walk out of here and you come across someone who is sick, you can pray for them and expect God to do something. That if you're running short of cash, you can ask God and expect Him to do something. That if you're running out of food or you're running out of wine, you can ask God and He will do something. That if you're at a funeral, you can ask for the person to be healed and he'll do something. It's time we upset the establishment. One, because the new paper's getting really boring to read. And two, it's time we change the world. And Jesus changed it by doing the miraculous. And then he told us to do the same and more. We just have to ask, John 14 says. Ask. 
Be bold. My challenge to you this week is ask. Take a chance. Don't ask for something safe. Be bold. In other words, be a Christian. Because that's what a Christian is. It's not someone who conforms to the pattern of this world and the safety there. A Christian stands up and says, I live for Jesus, the all-powerful one. And if it means turning water into wine and having a party, then let's make that the thing that we do. If it's healing the sick and raising the dead, then let's do that. But it's time we stood up and became the church that we're meant to be. We can have powerful encounters here, but it means nothing if we don't take a powerful encounter out there. Because we know we have Jesus. The word out there needs to know Jesus. Will everybody love it? Absolutely not. The religious will have a go. You'll remind you of your past and tell you you can't do those things because this is who you are. But you know that's just the devil lying. Because I said the same thing to Jesus. Change the world. Change your world. Be bold. Let's not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind so you know God's perfect, pleasing will, it says. Say to God, show me what you're doing that I may step into your miracles. Because that's who Jesus called you to be. That is who you are. It's not who you're going to be. It's who you are. And it's time we started being who we are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the awesome, powerful God. That you've given us Holy Spirit to work through us. And I pray every person here right now that you will transform our minds so that we can see ourselves as Jesus sees us. That we will see ourselves as your word says we are. That it doesn't matter how long we've been saved, whether it's for 10 minutes or 20 years that we will be the people you have called us to be. Move through us. Fulfill your word through us. Change this city for Jesus Christ. Father, we want you to be on the front page of the newspaper. We want them to be declaring there the miracles that you do, that the world may know Jesus lives. We bless you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.